Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles. And I'm Jeff Essery. So we're coming off of yet another Broncos loss against Kansas City. It looked like they, to be honest, they did a lot better than I thought they would. It was better than I expected um, for those first three quarters, particularly on the defensive side. Um, and so at least there's that. I guess we're we're at the point in Broncos' uh history where we're taking moral victories right i got into an argument in the middle of that game because i said that this is not an encouraging loss <laughs> and it and it it's it's it surprised me how many people got pissed off about it because i get it like i'm not i'm not saying that playing close with kansas city is not good obviously to me it's a sign that the coaching staff and the defense and parts of the offense work. So like, yeah, if, if that's encouraging to you, I'm encouraged by that. I expected that going in. So like that part of, to me, that part wasn't encouraging. I thought the Broncos game plan made sense for how to beat the chiefs. So the fact that they lost to me and essentially they lost on what looked to me like four different plays. I don't find it encouraging because it's the 11th straight loss to Kansas city. The last time, the Broncos beat Kansas city. Peyton Manning was playing like that's, that's like a hundred coordinators ago. Like that's not encouraging to me. 
That was the Bradley Roby game, right? The yeah. Bradley Roby fumble. I was at that game. I was that was one of the few that I've um, gone up to Kansas City to watch, and that was the I think that was the last time I saw we saw um, Peyton Manning play. Got to see him in the final season, but yeah, that was the last time. That was so long ago. To give you an idea of how long ago that was, I I had not yet traveled to three different countries like outside of the U.S. I had I had two less degrees than I have now. I had a car that actually like wasn't a piece of shit. <laughs> so it was a while ago. It was a while ago. So no, That's I true. don't. I, any- let's uh, we could play this game. Like I wasn't married yet the last time the Broncos beat the yeah. Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm coming up on my two year wedding anniversary. So. So again, like I don't, I don't find a close loss after eleven or after ten straight losses up till that encouraging. It's a loss. Like again, I'm glad that they played them close rather than got the shit kicked out of them. Like the last couple games against the Chiefs have honestly been miserable. So like I'll take that. Like at least like I'm still kind of mad about the things that they did wrong. That's encouraging. Like there's been games this year where they lose so badly, you're just kind of like, oh, all right, well. Cool. Do you feel like they're closer than they than they have been, particularly like the last three? I mean, the last th- it's so, it's been kind of weird because of the snow games. It feels like the last couple yeah. games you've had the snow as a weird factor, um, particularly with Drew Locke. But do you feel like this game they're closer than they have been in the past? I think this year both games were a lot closer than last year. Uh, what happened the first game to me? I thought the defense played the first game pretty well. I thought what ended up happening is the offense turned the ball over a bunch where it was completely inept and it completely crapped on everybody else. And I mean, that's again, you guys listening, you guys know this, you've watched the Broncos. That's kind of been the story for a big chunk of the year. So going into the game, I, and again, I wrote a preview and again, I get a lot of flack for not being optimistic. I wrote a preview that said the Broncos can beat the chiefs. So like I wrote out how they're going to have to do it. And again, they did most of that stuff very well. So that again, if if that is encouraging to you, yes, it was an encouraging loss. We can disagree on the semantics there because I don't think a loss is encouraging, period. But like in terms of like the blueprint and like where I think they measure up, yeah, like I, I am encouraged by that for sure. Yeah, and I do think the it's encouraging to see, to your point, the the, the loss obviously is not encouraging, but it's encouraging to see that they're that the formula that they went in with wasn't a bad strategy because I mean we've had that conversation at the beginning of the season too when Denver drafted Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler of okay now are they going to just try to start outscoring the Chiefs because you can't play defense against them or you know, what's going to be the the way that you attack them and it felt like they actually deployed a winnable formula on Sunday night. Now, obviously they still don't have some of the talent to get there. And a a lot of that, I mean, to me is on the quarterback side, particularly that night. Um, But the formula was there that you could see in a year or two, that's that winning the game. I mean, Denver, and and it's not a, to me, it's, it's replicable as well because Denver has had like, they're, they're one of the, they're a top five red zone defense. And last year they were number one in the NFL in the red zone. And both of those, they've been hurting on the personnel side. So it's not like they built some crazy, you know, amazing star-studded defense like in 2015. They're coached really well. And that defense, the way it's coached, holds up really well in the red zone. And so that's a great formula for the Chiefs. And then they've run the ball well over the last couple weeks. 
and you expect that the offensive line will continue to gain some continuity with all the young guys that they have growing there. Like I expect the offensive line next year to be a lot better than they are than they um, looked, particularly at the beginning of the season, but even than they are right now. Agreed, and I think that's what that's what we're seeing over the last few games. Like, obviously, take the Saints game out of it because the Saints game is just like that. I'm going to skip the offense when I study that game all off season because there's just nothing yeah. from that tape yeah. offensively. It's really it's just that's what happens when you don't have a quarterback at all. So, so taking that out of it though, the blueprint is there for kind of like the identity for the Broncos going forward, especially if they're keeping things kind of how it's going. If, if they're rolling everything back in the next, in, in next year, kind of rolling everybody. If they're going into next year, kind of taking everybody back and just kind of rolling with what they got and then adding pieces, the blueprint is now kind of there for them to try and build an identity to go with next year and a, a winning formula. And that's one of the things like coming out of the game, there were people that were saying fire Shermer or fire Fangio or fire blah, blah, blah. And I, a proper amount of perspective is needed here where you can make mistakes in the moment. And that doesn't damn you as a coach. Like Andy Reed has had coat has had time management blunders. Like John Harbaugh has made mistakes on fourth down. Like, like good coaches do make mistakes. Like everybody makes mistakes. This is the NFL. These are human beings. Like, again, like no one's perfect. So like taking that into consideration, Vic Fangio has had one of the, the best red zone defenses, both of the last two years. Like, and again, look at the pieces he's had to deal with and it works against the chiefs. Like that's like, if you fire Fangio, finding another coach that kind of has that answer, it's going to be hard to find. Like, that's a big thing. And like, and again, that takes like, also consider the fact that Fangio has kind of kept the Broncos playing hard. They have a good locker room. They have an identity. They have good a good coaching staff. Honestly, like they have Munchak. They have like Bill Collar. They have like they have pieces on the coaching staff. Like firing firing Fangio because you didn't beat a Super Bowl contender is asinine. Like there's no way around it. It's stupid. Yeah, and I think when you compare even like the Joseph era Broncos to what you've seen over the last couple uh, last two years with Fangio particularly against the Chiefs it's been much more I'm not going to say competitive because we've had those things you, you've had those issues with the offense and the the turnovers and things like that but you you think back to the previous game where Denver's offense and they gave up the um, punt return for a touchdown and but the defense held the Chiefs to no third down conversions so you've had two two um, games in a year where you've played really good defense against the Chiefs and last year they weren't too bad either and you compare that to the to the um, Joseph era Broncos and they just got beat up by the Chiefs I'm thinking of the one in Kansas City where Darian Stewart got exposed by Travis Kelsey one-on-one Todd Davis got exposed by Travis Kelsey one-on-one I mean they were just getting destroyed and um, so I do think there's some improvement in on that side too, and that all that credit goes to Fangio, and that's replicable, right? And so to your point, they they haven't even been playing with that great of world beaters on the defensive side. They've had injuries, all the stuff that we've talked about, and they played a good defensive game. Um, and I thought it was a game plan that that worked against the Chiefs. And the big one is, and, and I think the, from a schematic perspective, what they do against the Chiefs is they don't 
um, they don't play into their game in terms of like that. They just let the chiefs run. If you want to run the ball, you run the ball. We're going to stay in two high safeties. We're going to try to limit Mahomes and limit some of the, the big play guys that you have and you can run the ball on us. I think Chris Collinsworth pointed it out um, on the, like the box count was nearly always in the chiefs favor when with Denver, but the chiefs want to pass the ball. And so you're, I like the approach that Fangio has and um, staying in too high and giving them good run looks because, and I think um, who was it? Um, Cody Alexander, who's been on this show. Um, he had a great article. We should talk about it next week. Um, we should dig in and do a deep dive, but he had a great article breaking down Fangio's defense and uh, Brandon Staley's defense about how you can show too high, you stay in too high, um, and you know stay out of crowding the box, and it gives it it puts you in good situations, particularly against some of the stuff that the Chiefs want to do. And so, um, I do think there's a good formula there. And then on the offensive side, I think we've seen the offensive line start to gel, and you you started to see a semblance of a running game and some consistency from a running game standpoint, and that worked well against the Chiefs. The, really, the the biggest efficiency was in the passing game. Yep. That yeah, that's is, all you that's all you can kind of say at this point. Yep. So, so no, I do have I, a take. While we're while we're in the rant phase, before we jump into the specifics, I have a take that I'd love your your take on. Um is I said this about Drew Locke, and, and we don't have to make every podcast about Drew Locke, so we don't have to talk too much about it. But I said this about Drew Locke on Sunday night after the game. That my take on him, fourteen games into his career, and it really, it really struck, stuck out to me after those two interceptions, is that he's played on bad college teams his entire, his entire college career. He came off of really bad teams where he had to be the offense, and that's what he made his name doing was being the offense. He joins a team that's a terrible offense. Like objectively, Denver was is a terrible offense that he joined from the last several years, and. So I wonder if there's not something that's wired in him that he needs to be the offense. He needs to be the hero. And it's just part of his, I think, DNA and his competitiveness. Like that's the way he plays ball. But we saw it on Sunday night. Denver has a respectable offense now from an offensive line perspective. The running game is getting going. I mean, people criticize Shermer, but I think he's, he's been solid in the play calling and um, like offensive game plan department. He's put together a couple offensive game plans over the last couple of weeks. The one against Miami, the one against Kansas city was good. And so what Denver needs from drew Locke is for him to, I said this on Sunday night is for him to just play within the offense and stop trying to be the offense. And I think, you know, there's a lot of other things that you could point to, but that's the first time I've really thought of it in that, regard is is drew lock just wired to try to be the offense and is that part of the problem i think it definitely is uh i was just on like probably about 20 minutes before i came on here i was recording another podcast with billy marshall who writes for cat scratch uh reader and he brought up what do you think is going to happen when drew lock faces off against the panthers defense because the panthers defense is built to try and stop everything over the top and just make you play the long field. And I told him, I'm really curious to see how that goes because that has been probably one of Drew Locke's biggest issues all year 
is he wants to go with the goal ball when they're giving you the underneath. And he's been doing it all season. And on these naked rollouts, he's been doing a lot better job of dumping it down to the tight ends. But it's not outside of that. It's still cropping up a lot. Um, so that is definitely a concern of mine is that he, he has this a really, really aggressive nature. And part of it's great because you, you'd rather have a quarterback who wants to take the shots and coach him into making the right decisions than have an Alex Smith who wants to take the check down when you really need him to throw beyond the sticks. Like it's a lot harder probably to get that guy to take the right shot than to tell Drew Locke, look, you have a guy open right here, throw him the ball. Um, and again, I, I don't have any numbers behind that, but I definitely like thinking it out. Like I do think that that's more coachable than the, than the alternative. So like if you're, if you're looking for a reason for hope with Locke, like that definitely does give you some hope. Um, the other thing I think that is really encouraging, first of all, th there's kind of like two rants here. One thing I think is really encouraging from the game in terms of Shermer's perspective and Locke's perspective is if you, if you break down Drew Locke's numbers and I think he completed, I'd have to look, but outside of the two minute situations. Uh, so outside of the, the, the end of the half situation, the end of the first half and outside of the very end, when he was trying to drive to win the game, the Broncos used motion or play action on 16 of his 20 attempts. And if you take out his misses in those two minute situations, like he had a halfway respectable game considering the fact that they de-emphasized the passing game so much. And granted, part of it, if, you, if you've been complaining that Pat Shermer's not adjusting to lock, like this is proof that he's doing it. I've actually had people complaining at me this week that Shermer's not putting the ball in Locke's hands enough to let him make the, the, the plays. And it's like, dude, he tried that. Like this yeah. is what happens when that didn't work. Like yeah. this is where you adjust from there. Yeah, the adjustment. Um, I think that's a great point. Like the adjustment at this point for Drew Locke is pulling him back, I think, and yeah. re like reining him back. And I wonder if, again, like I know the offseason stuff's overplayed, but Pat Shermer didn't really get a chance to see what Drew Locke's strengths are and play with that. So you're kind of learning what his strengths are in real time. And maybe you you learn that, hey, maybe we gave him too much or we gave him too much leeway. We gave him too much freedom, too much information to think about, too much to, you know, too much to process for a young guy. And so we need to rein him in. And I think that's where you're starting to see the offense land is that they need Locke to just dial in and, and play within what they're trying to do because it has gotten better around him. And I think, you know, if there's any encouragement for the last, the next four games is that the offense is getting, has gotten better around Drew Locke. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of the scenario you were hoping for is that you would put him in a good situation where the offense is okay, consistent, the offensive line's playing better. He's got a decent running game that he can lean on. And so now you just teach him to lean into that. Whereas like the first, I mean, the first kind of eight games, it was kind of just all over the place. Like every, there was blame everywhere. And so now I think it's starting to shore up a little bit. And I have a, and this is just a theory. I have no, you know, nothing to, to say to this, but what if Shermer's answer early in the season without it, without, you know, a training camp was basically, let's just throw it all at him, see what he can handle. And kind of build from there to see. And again, I have yeah. no idea if that's what they, if I don't know if that's what they did, but I remember a press conference that they had with, I think it was with Fangio probably about a month ago where they asked Fangio, how do you balance trying to give Locke all the tools and like to, to do the things you need to see him do 
and win games. And he was like, oh, well, that's part of coaching is balancing that thing. And that honestly may have been a thing. Cause again, like the offense now compared to the first four or five weeks of the season doesn't look the same. Like the passing offense, like when they go into actual passing offense stuff, yeah, it looks pretty similar. And they're, they're running cer certain concepts the same, but in terms of like the game plans, like they don't look like they're built with they're, they're built to hide luck is what, what I've seen in Miami and what I saw against Kansas city. Yeah. And, and you could take that one of two ways, right? Like you could say, oh, they're just trying to, to hide lock, or you could say they're built to allow him to hide and get, you know, to keep his, to help his development, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, I think that is one of the things that we say about young quarterbacks is you, you, you put too much on their plate or you put, you know, you don't put enough support around them and you don't just put them in a situation where they can just, they don't have to think as much and they can just kind of go execute this thing and can grow with that. And so maybe that's part of the the plan is, is hiding him in a good way. Um, now obviously that's not sustainable. Right. And so that's the, that's the thing is where do you, where do you go from there and how do you grow out of it? Well, and that's, that's where I was going to go with this next is I think building your offense around a run first attack and a defense works to a, to a degree, but there's also like, there's, there's going to be situations you're going to run into where you have to pass. Like that's, that's why quarterbacks determine wins and losses in the NFL as they do, because at the end of the game, somebody's going to get the ball back and have a chance to score. And you want a guy who can do something in those situations. Because if not, you're very, very dependent on controlling the tempo and controlling the pace of the game as much as you can. And again, like when it works, we saw what happened against the Chiefs. Like Denver's, when they're able to do it, they can play with the Chiefs. But again, if 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 the Kansas City Chiefs had hit on those three 50-yard plays, any of those three or even multiple of those, it turns into a boat race situation where Drew Locke has to play quarterback. And then you're in a situation where you need him to pass. And this is one of those process versus result type things. And again, you and I have talked about this a hundred times, but Pat Shermer clearly showed that they have a plan for when they can kind of keep things on track. So if that doesn't happen against the Panthers or the bills, or it's not that he suddenly stopped doing it. It's that the game situation pushed him out of it. There's only been two games this year where the Broncos haven't run for a hundred yards rushing. And both of them are in situations where they had to basically abandon the run. Yeah. And so they're going so yeah, to your point. They're going in with uh, again what I thought was a good game plan against Kansas City, and the times that they got away from that, and I don't think they really even did because the defense was able to help keep it close. But the times that they did was in those must pass situations, end of the game, end of the half, and also I mean, and Locke turned the ball over twice too. So there's another piece of that. The thing I wanted to mention is how the running game. Average 4.6 yards of carry after you take Melvin Gordon's big run out of it. Because I always try and take those big runs out to try and like figure out what was consistently happening. And the big thing that happened there is they averaged 4.6 yards of carry, but most of Gordon's carries were like six-ish yards. And then he had two or three carries that were like two yards or less. So like when you run on second and long and you gain six yards, that's a good run. Like that's a good play. If you run on second and long and you gain two yards, obviously that's a garbage play. Like you don't want that. Um, but I think like we're at a situation, we're at a point with lock where we know we don't want lock in must pass situations where you basically have to accept that they're going to have to run some of those second and long plays. And it, and again, like it's the analytics hate it, 
But when your quarterback is as prone to mistakes as Locke is, you have to protect them that way. It just it it's just what happens. Like you have to try and keep your your offense on track as much as you can and try and play field position. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Yeah. I don't know if that I, helps. No, I agree. I think I agree with that. Um, and I, I think another piece of that is some of the things that they're trying to do on first down. I mean, the passing game is just not efficient right now. And so when mm-hmm. they are passing on first down, I mean, Locke's averaging around, it's under 60% for the year, right? So if you're passing on first down, there's, there's, and you're missing those, you're missing some shots that you're dialing up or you're missing on some of those pl- key play actions that they're pulling out on first down you're going to be in those second and longs. And the last thing you want to do is pass to try to get out of that with a non-efficient passing game and then put yourself in a third and long. And so I get it. And I don't, I don't necessarily disagree because if they were running on first down all the time, well, then you'd have what you saw with Scangarello. And it's like, well, stop going in every drive and starting with a run and, and going the run, run pass and all of that. And so, I, I think a lot of the the issues that we have with Shermer would disappear if Locke played better. And, and again, that's not to me trying – I don't want to make this a whole just bash on Locke thing, and I feel like it's starting to turn into it. And, I, and I'm not trying to get into that mindset, guys. But it's like a lot of our issues with the offense, even with an average quarterback, a lot of those issues don't look quite so bad. And I'm not to say that there's no issues. But like the, the big issues that I have with Shermer – most of those would look better if the quarterback was better. Yeah. And there's not much on offense that, you know, the quarterback doesn't affect. And so mm-hmm. when you have a guy that is still, and I'm going to, and I'm going to say still growing because we just don't know where Locke's going to land, right? The returns right now, the Sunday night. And I, and I said this, like currently, um, Denver is doing well and having success on offense despite Locke. Like that's not, that's that's just a an observation at this point. It doesn't mean anything about the future currently. You know, I'm not projecting that out to say, well, they need to cut him or they need to this or that. That's just where things are at right now. Can they turn that around? I mean, they have four more games, right? So they can continue to to keep working on that, and we'll we'll see what happens with the. Panthers coming up and I think it'll be interesting so and and we can talk a little bit about the Panthers matchup too if you'd like is um the I feel like the Broncos particularly this year because of the young offense because of them trying to gel together 
I almost feel like they've been a little bit, and check me on this, but they it feels like they they have almost been a little bit like defense agnostic. Like, I mean, obviously they've struggled against d- good defenses early on when the defenses were blitzing them and, and things like that. But I mean, they struggled against the Jets too, and they, um, yeah, it wasn't really a good evaluation against the Saints when that was a pretty good defense. Um, but Miami came in with a good defense and they had a good game plan against them and, and succeeded. So it, what I, all that to say, it feels like Denver could be good or bad regardless, like just based on how Denver plays. To me, it's less about the specific matchup against the Panthers. Um, but I could be completely off on that. What do you think about that? I think it's kind of like a two, two-parter. I think if they can get their running game going on the power plays or enough to build play action, I think that they can play offense with everybody as long as Locke doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, and that's what happened, I think, against the Raiders that turned the Raider game so bad, even though the Raiders' defense was so bad, is the Raiders knew that the Broncos were going to have to try and run, and they keyed up a good game plan to ruin that. And then Drew Locke didn't keep the ball – like. He didn't keep them at least on track. Like if the offense wasn't scoring points, but they weren't turning the ball over a lot, that game could have feasibly turned into at least sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you combine those two things, when they can't run or set up play action and Locke starts to turn the ball over, it gets ugly really quickly. And that's yeah. what I was worried about with the chiefs. But cause if they get stuck in third long situations, Spagnola was going to do that. Yeah, and I think you charted as well, along with the additional charting that you had was what was it? Locke was two and it was two and eight with a pick mm-hmm. or something in obvious pass situations. Yeah. And so obviously he- for the Panthers, you want to stay out of that. Because you look at the Panthers too, what they have with Brian Burns has been really good. And mm-hmm. so I mean they've got they don't have like a I mean, to me I want to call it like a ferocious pass rush, but they have a good player that you don't want to get you don't you don't want to let him tee off. So the thing, the thing that the Panthers and everybody's going to, so you remember, you remember leading up to the Patriots game? Cause we essentially had two episodes leading up to the Patriots game because of all the COVID stuff. And like the Patriots basically didn't have half their offensive line. Yeah. We're getting that this week with the defense. So if Drew Locke is going to have a really, really big game this year, it's probably going to be this week because uh, I, again, I was just talking to uh, Walker Clement of cats crash reader. And let me look this up. So the, the Panthers are currently looking at missing DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. That's two of their three starting receivers. They're starting linebacker Shaq Thompson. They're starting defensive tackles with an S Derek Brown and Zach Kerr and Derek Brown's their top. I mean, top 10 draft pick and he's been playing well. And everybody remembers Zach Kerr and he got cut from Fangio's Broncos last year. But here's the thing. Zach Kerr, at least according to PFF, Zach Kerr is one of the 12 best defensive tackles in football right now. Like he's been playing really, really well. He's a good player. I I just don't think he fit super well in Fangio's scheme. And at that point, they were pretty deep on the defensive line. But yeah, I I think I think Kerr's a really good player. But they're also missing their second round draft pick, not Jeremy Chin. They have Jeremy Chin, but they're starting uh Yetter Gross Matos. They're they're gonna be missing him. And then they also lost a couple of the practice squad players at receiver and defensive tackle. So essentially the Panthers have one they, rumor is they might get Curtis Samuel back. So like, we'll have to see with that because that could obviously change everything. 
But as of right now, it looks like they're going to have Robbie Anderson as their one receiver. And on the defensive line, they're down to like their fourth string guy. And Christian McCaffrey wasn't at practice yep. today. And, and everything I was just talking, again, I was just talking to Billy Marshall and everything he was saying is basically, it sounds like he's not playing. So this might very well be a schedule win where like you're going to catch the Panthers as broken as they're going to be all year. Um, Granted, they still have pieces. Teddy Bridgewater is playing better than I thought he was. Uh, but yeah, like the Broncos offense should be able to move the ball this week. And I think that's, that's kind of what I was getting at with that point is if, if Denver's going to move the ball, they're going to have to do it like on their, they're going to have to be buttoned up and mm-hmm. be firing yeah. because that's where they've run into in the past. Like there's games where they should be able to move the ball and they should be able to have success and they just don't. And I think that's what you get with a young offense that is still struggling with execution is like, you should be able to beat up on bad defenses, but that's not always a given with an offense that has the consistency issues that Denver has had this year. Um, And so while I do think it is a good matchup for them and they can take advantage of it, I think it's going to hinge as much on Denver's ability to keep their stuff together and execute and not turn the ball over as it is in them exploiting a bad defense. Agreed. And part of, part of my concern with that is they have to keep on track. Um, Bill Snow, I, I went back over some of the Panthers games earlier this week. Bill Snow, if he gets you into passing situations, he is going to mug the linebackers. He's going to bring two linebackers into the A gaps. And he's going to he's gonna probably send one of them. Or he's going to end up dictating the, the protection to try and protect this. Like, the offensive line will try and protect Lloyd Cushenberry only for somebody to drop out. And then the edges are going to be isolated against Brian Burns. So they try to get Brian Burns one-on-ones by mugging the linebackers inside. So the Broncos have to stay out of situations where you can really do that. Yeah, and that all hinges on them being able to run the football, which yep. I think they have been. They've been doing that well over the last couple of weeks, so we hope to see that continue. And I've been impressed with, um, I mean, I think they've found a little bit of consistency at right tackle as well with DeMar Dawson if he's able to stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I Dawson's playing well enough that if Dawson wants to come back next year, I hope they re-sign him. Yeah, and I know we'll talk about this in a future thing when we look forward, like at the at the next year. But I, like I said earlier in in the show, I've I'm a lot more confident in the Broncos' offensive line over the last couple of weeks for what they could look like in the future. And we said this about Lloyd Cushenberry, right? Just give him time. He's a, he's a rookie, and even Drew Locke gave him some praise this last week of saying, I think it was on maybe he's talking about one of the interceptions or something. I forget what he was talking about, but he was essentially saying like, hey, some of that's on me, like. Cushenberry's in a good spot now with calling out protections and things like that. Like he's doing better, and some of that, um, you know, Locke was taking responsibility for. But it, he did make it a point to call out that they're they're getting more on the same page, and you can see it on on the field. Um, I think the the offensive line's playing a lot better over these last couple weeks, and so you hope that continues. And good thing that you, I mean, not not a good thing, but good thing for Denver that Derek Brown's not there to really disrupt in the middle. I wasn't looking forward to that. Well, and here's the thing. As much as we complain about the offensive line, I think Drew Locke's on pace for less than 20 sacks this year. And again, I part of that is Drew Locke. Like I, again, I'm a big guy. I'm big on sacks or quarterback stat, but it, it does speak to Mike Munchak and the offensive line that they've kind of settled in with 
a competent looking offensive line. Yeah. So I, I do think they'll have success on the ground. I want to see what they can do through the air because the, the pan again, the Panthers are pretty bad in the secondary. They're good at defending passes to the left, but beyond that, they basically like they give up yards. Yeah. I mean, we could see two. Um, I, I, I really don't know what to expect on the, on the offensive side for the Panthers with Denver's defense, because the Panthers are so short staffed, but so is Denver. You had the mm -hmm. AJ Boye um, announcement this week that he'll be suspended. And so, they're playing without – I think they have Bosby back, right? So you've got Bosby back. Mm -hmm. They did sign Will Parks. I don't. Did he take snaps against the Kansas City? I don't think he had played. Mm -hmm. no. um, but so you have him in the secondary, so he could potentially play slot. And so you probably have OJ Mudia and Bosby on the outside. That's a young secondary on the outside with Callahan still hurt and A.J. Boye out. And so, I mean, it, that'll be interesting because – on the flip side, the Panthers don't have great receivers right now with their guys out. And so like the fact that the, the, the Panthers aren't going to have any receivers other than Robbie Anderson or feasibly and the Broncos don't have any corners. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how much Joe Brady tries to exploit that when he doesn't have anybody throw to because Joe, Joe Brady has been really, really multiple this year. Like this is the Panthers offensive coordinator. You guys probably remember him from LSU, but they, they run 11, they've, they've run 11 personnel a little bit over half the time, but after that, they kind of mix up a little bit of everything. They run, they'll run 12 personnel. They'll run 21. They'll run 13. They'll run 22. And basically out of 12 personnel and 11. So either three receiver sets or two tight end sets, they like to throw the ball more than they like to run it. But basically in all those heavier sets, so any set that has two, two backs in the backfield, or if they have three tight ends on the field, they're going to run the ball more. But that said, like when I was watching the Vikings game, like they will, they will run the heck out of play action out of that stuff because you're expecting them to run. And those play action shots against a young cornerback group could be really bad. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, you could see a lot of sloppiness potentially on both of those, like on, mm -hmm. on that side of the ball between Denver's defense and the Panthers offense. And so, you know, you may be counting on the the Broncos offense to kind of carry the day a little bit. And I mean, this is if there's a game that they're going to do it, this would be the one to do it. But I really wouldn't be surprised if and again, we'll get to this next week more, but it wouldn't surprise me if next week and then onwards, the Broncos secondary starts to get lit up quite a bit. Because, again, losing all your corners like this against teams that have receivers is going to be bad. It might not be so bad this week because the the. Carolina situation is so favorable, but like Josh Allen, and I know this, I can't imagine I'm saying this 2020, but like, I'm scared about what Josh Allen can do with this <laughs> defense. Yeah, that'll be interesting looking forward. Cause you've got the, the Raiders is going to be a tough matchup too. And then you've got the chargers with Justin Herbert coming to town again. And yep. so yeah, we'll see. I think I think the Panthers game will give us a decent baseline of how those guys are going to look out there. And then, you know, we can check the tape, obviously, and, and kind of um, sandbag it a little bit because of the Panthers receiver situation. But I think that'll give us a good idea of potentially the last three games. But, I mean, I, I think at this point, though, the defense has, particularly with their performance against Kansas City, the bo both games against Kansas City, 
I don't think the defense has a ton left to prove. I mean, at this point, you're getting your young guys reps and you're hoping they hold up and stuff. But I mean, I think that is a good call out, Joe, that we should prep, you know, fans and, and us as well. We should prep for if they do get lit up these last three games, it's not some call because that Fangio's bad defensive coach or that they need to scrap players or whatever. Like you would, you would probably expect that based on all the injuries that they've sustained. And so, you know, it, maybe it doesn't happen, but if it does, I want, I'm not, I'm preliminarily not putting a lot of weight into it. <laughs> I'm at a point with Fangio where if something happened to the defense and like things go wrong, I don't think he forgot how to coach. Like, and I know you don't either. Like, like I I've had a couple different people that like, they really study a lot. Had basically told me over the last week or so, like Fangio is probably one of the two or three best defensive coaches in football. Like, like, you can have your issues with whatever without, you know, beyond the defense, but like he knows defense, like that's not the concern, but in terms of personnel, again, like the Broncos are down to Shelby Harris and then like depth guys on the interior line. And then they're down to the, the Michael Ojemudier, who was a starter and basically backups in the at corner. And so we're at a point where the corner situation might be shaky enough. And again, I'm not trying to hate on Bosby, but the corner situation might be shaky enough that Fangio might have to kind of tone back the pressure stuff and that could either work or blow up in his face. Cause some of these quarterbacks, if you don't get pressure on them, they're going to light you up like Teddy Bridgewater. If he's comfortable in the pocket, like he's, he's like an old man, Drew Brees, like he's old man, Drew Brees, but he's not old yet. Like he's <laughs> going to take dink and dunk all day if he can get it. So what's your, I know we don't usually do predictions on this show, but what are you, like, what are you thinking? Is this a, is this a winnable game for Denver? Yes. This was a game early in the season that I thought Denver had a really good chance at. The COVID stuff and the injury stuff between both teams makes it kind of a shake, like kind of a, a toss-up. Uh, if Curtis Samuel plays, I think it could very well go in the Panthers' favor because I think that could turn into a problem. Curtis Samuel's been kind of like the – I don't know what his numbers look like. I didn't look at the numbers. But in terms of like how they actually use him, he's he's an X-factor guy. They, keep, they move him around. They'll put him in the backfield. They'll put him out wide. They'll put him in the slot. They'll, they'll key up touches for him because he's an explosive guy. So that's a that's something to watch for. But I think the Broncos could win this game. I think it, it'll probably be close because I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be good enough to keep it close. But I think the Broncos could win this by probably three to seven. Well, we'll see what happens. And we'll be back here next week to talk the inevitable Josh Allen stuff when the, so when Denver takes on the Bills. So here's my question for everybody listening. And I would love for you guys to get at me and at you at Jeffrey S3 or at Joro NFL on Twitter. Knowing if you take out what we know now and you go back and look up uh, and you go back and look up Josh Allen's scouting reports and look up his numbers and go watch his Wyoming tape. And again, that's a lot of ifs. Would you draft him? Like going back, would you draft him over what we know we have in Chubb? I wouldn't, and I would love to hear why I'm wrong. And we'll talk more about it next week too. Let's let's do that because I might I might argue with with you a little bit. <laughs>